This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Why is Everyone Yelling? with Lindsay Hine. I am your host, Lindsay, and I am so excited to be here today for episode one. Thank you for checking out the new show. I have been envisioning this new podcast for some time now where parents can connect, they can grow and feel supported. And what I've found in my eight short years of experience in parenting is that it's a beautiful beautiful thing, but it is also really hard. And I'm constantly learning that I have to rethink how I do this over and over again. I oftentimes find myself saying, maybe yelling. Why is everyone yelling? I am the mom of four young boys myself, ages two, four, six, and eight. And I know that Being a mom, being a parent can sometimes feel really lonely, and I just want to have a place here where you can walk away armed with something that will help you in your own parenting in some way, big or small, every single week. So I envision that as you listen to this show, you will smile, you will give some solid head nods, and you will feel supported. That is my main goal, that you feel supported through this show. Okay, so you're listening to episode one, and today I'm talking with Emily Kendrelli. About two months ago, my kids discovered a show on Netflix called Emily's Wonder Lab. I immediately walked into the room ready to tell them it was time to turn off the TV when I realized they were watching a show about science. They continued to watch it, and I think they've watched the whole series at least three times now. Emily is an MIT engineer turned Emmy-nominated science TV host. She's the host and co-executive producer of Emily's Wonder Lab on Netflix. She's featured as a correspondent on Netflix, Bill Nye Saves the World, and an executive producer and host of Fox's Exploration Outer Space, which airs in 100 million households each week. She's also an author... Her first science children's book series, The Ada Lace Adventures, is now available. Emily is a mother herself. She has a daughter. What's really cool is she was actually nine months pregnant when she wrapped up Emily's Wonder Lab. So you get to see this awesome woman scientist, nine months pregnant, hosting a show on Netflix. It's so cool. Emily shares with us about her passion for getting more girls and women involved in STEM. And we also got to add in a couple listener questions from some young fans of Emily's Wonder Lab. Um, If you have kids who like the show, make sure you grab them so they can hear the last like two minutes of this interview because we have a couple kid questions that they'll probably find really fun. All right, friends, if you enjoy this first episode and are excited about the podcast, please consider heading over to iTunes or wherever you listen and leave us a rating and review so we can get this into the ears of more listeners. 
If you do leave a rating and review, you will be entered to win the Ada Lace series, which is the science children's book series that Emily is the author of. So send us an email. If you do leave a rating and review, lindsay at sandyboyproductions.com and you'll be entered to win the Ada Lace Adventure Series. All right, friends. Really excited. Hope you love this interview. Thank you, Emily, for coming on. Enjoy my conversation with Emily Candrelli. All right. Well, today on the podcast, I'm so excited to have Emily Candrelli on the show. Welcome to the podcast, Emily. Thank you so much. Congratulations on the show. Thank you. It's so exciting. Does it feel surreal? Uh, yes. My, I'm just so overwhelmed. I'm not getting much sleep. I have definitely gone way over my allotted screen time <laughs> for the last like week, just reading comments and responding to kids doing my experiments. It's a very, very fun feeling. Yeah. Are you having actual the actual kids reaching out to you, not just the parents? Oh my gosh. I mean, it's a mix of both. I have kids that are writing notes and they're like shooting videos saying that they like doing experiments. I saw this one video of um, a, a parent took it and sent it to me over Twitter where a kid and his little sister were experimenting. And I saw them like push something down their stairs. And he said something like, your hypothesis was right. My hypothesis was wrong, but that's okay because we learned something. And then at the end they scream, Emily's Wonderland. I was like, oh my gosh, this is my dream. That is so, so cool. I mean, we are watching it on repeat. It's crazy how Netflix works too, because I just walked downstairs one day and I was like about to say, get off YouTube or, you know, like get off TV. And then I was like, oh wait, they're watching science class. This is so cool. (laughs) And he just found it on his own. So it's so exciting. That's so great. My, that's my dream is that parents think of this as just sort of like guilt-free screen time. Yeah. It is for sure. Okay, so let's introduce you to the parents. Most people listening will probably be parents on this podcast. So share with us a little bit about your history. I know you're from West Virginia and you went to MIT. So how did you get interested in the world of science? Right. Well, it's funny because when I was a kid, I never really considered myself one of the smart kids. Um, I I loved math. That was the one thing I really, really did like. I loved math. Um, And when I was going to college, I really wanted to find a job that would be like a good job that would make money. I was very practical about it all. And I was like, okay, engineers use math. They make good money. I'll major in engineering. It'll be really hard. And the next four years of my life are going to kind of suck, but I'm going to end up with a good job at the end. Uh, And it turned out that I love this stuff. I learned about aerospace engineering. I learned about NASA. I had all of these NASA internships and I did NASA research and I just fell completely in love with the space industry. And it just kind of uh, snowballed from there. And so I got my undergrad degree in mechanical and aerospace engineering at West Virginia University. And then I went to MIT to study aeronautics and astronautics engineering, and then another master's in something called technology and policy. I was in school for a very long time, (laughs) graduated. Um, This is the the wildest thing. I got a call from a production company that was like, we're looking for someone to be a host of this new space show. Would you like to be 
the host. And I had never done anything in TV before. I'd never done any type of TV hosting. They had just found me online because I would made some videos about science and space. And um, I, I guess they found me that way. And I said, yes. And that was seven years ago now. Um, wow. That was my first TV show. And it's just kind of, uh, you know, everything kind of happened after that. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Because mm-hmm. it's like, I know you're super into science, but how do you then combine two passions for like production and being in front of the camera? And how are you gifted in both of those arenas? So it's so cool to see you combine those so that you weren't even seeking that out. Do you think it's because you were one of the only females in your program? Were they looking for a female voice? I absolutely think that's the case. Yeah. So I I think that my the production company that hired me, Steve Rotfeld Productions, based out of Philly, they were looking for a female host, which was so weird. I have been told that I was the first uh, female host of a nationally syndicated science show. And so for them to seek out a female host, that was really rare and unique and very cool for them to do, because that is not what most people did in that field. And so they had found me and gave me this opportunity. And I would say that I wasn't very good at it in the beginning. <laughs> well, <laughs> when I watch when I watch my my first show in the first couple of seasons, I'm like, oh, yikes, <laughs> you had a lot of learning to do. <laughs> um, but it, it, like so many other things things, you get better at it the more that you do it, as long as you stick at it, you're sort of, you, you, you're very critical of yourself, you learn what works and what doesn't, you iterate, you fail, you do all of this experimenting in your own life, and you get better at it as you go. Okay, so with Emily's Wonder Lab, did you craft what the show would look like? Who did you work with to, to come up with the concept and everything? Yeah. So, I mean, like so many big projects, it involves so many different people. Um, But I did work with one individual woman at the production company, Buena Murray Productions, uh, Maria Pepin, who is just a rock star woman in the producing world and the world of kids television. Um, And I've been working with her on a kids science show for about five years. Um, And it was a different type of science show than Emily's Wonder Lab. And we had been pitching that to various networks over the last five years. Um, And we got some good feedback. We shot a pilot at one point and it just never got picked up. Well, Netflix was interested in hearing that pilot. They're building out their kids programming. And we go to them and we pitch them the show. And they say, we like the general concept, but let's tweak it a bit. Mm. And so they wanted to work with us to create this entirely new show Emily's Wonder Lab. Talk to us about your Facebook post you recently posted and um, how, you know, you were one of one of two or three women in your program in college and how this is a dream come true. Also, for your for your daughter to see what you're doing here and to encourage other little girls to get in, involved in this. Yeah, it's so surreal to me because when I was um, when I was studying in undergrad, when I would walk into a classroom of 50 guys, um, of 50 people, they would mostly be guys. I would be one of maybe two or three girls in the entire classroom. And so when that happens, you instantly feel like you're in the wrong place. Mm. (laughs) You feel like maybe you have stepped into the wrong classroom and everybody knows who you are. You are one of the two or three girls in the program. Everyone knows who you are. And so it feels like very, very weird going through college that way. Um, 
And when I would go to pitch science TV shows to larger networks, and this is mostly for adults because I, I work um, in science production for like TV shows for adults as well, I would get the feedback that you, that is very marketing driven, but they talk about, well, most of the people who watch our shows are guys, and we just don't know if they'd relate to a female host. And it's very funny to hear that feedback because I think in any other industry, they would be like, I don't think you can say that out yeah. loud. <laughs> that seems like very blatant sexism. But when you wrap it in this guise of marketing and it's sort of like a business risk that they're taking, it's okay to do that. And so it was sort of like, well, you get that feedback um, a few times and you're just like, ah, that's not really fun to hear. Um, and so after five, six years of pitching TV shows and not being super successful in that arena, um, it, it takes a toll. It's very taxing. Um, and so when this Netflix um, pitch came up, I was like, let's do the song and dance. We'll put our best foot forward. We're, we'll try this again. Um, and when they thought they called, well, the first, I will say I was uh, like five months pregnant when we were pitching this. And um, it was one of those times where I, I just hadn't announced it to the world yet. Um, and I announced it and I thought, well, I'm just going to tell the world that I'm pregnant. If Netflix calls, they call. If they don't, I mean, I just I can't hide this pregnancy forever. Um, it'll be up to them as to whether or not they want to work with a pregnant woman. We'll see. And so I announced it. And a week later, Netflix calls and they're like, should we film the show before or after the baby? Oh, I can't tell you. I, I cried like a baby. I was, I've never been so excited for anything in my whole life. Um, and I was like, let's do it before the baby comes because I don't know what it's like to have a baby. And I think it's going to be pretty hard. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, it's so good. I mean, that's one of my favorite parts is the first time I looked, I watched, I was like, she's like really pregnant. This is so freaking cool. Yeah, I at the end of it, I was 36 weeks pregnant. So I was actually like nine months pregnant um, in the last few days of filming. And so I actually had to have a doctor's note to fly back home uh, because after the ninth month, the doctors are like, uh, yeah. we need to make sure you're totally healthy to get on a plane so you don't have this baby on the plane. Yeah. <laughs> um, tell me about the overalls because they're so cute. Oh, yeah. we. So I had suggested that I wear overalls because um, throughout my entire pregnancy, I loved wearing overalls because they were super comfy. And I just thought they looked really flattering so on cute. a cute little baby bump. Um, and so the production company found these pink overalls. And I'll say that the funny thing about filming is that we filmed over the course of 10 days. And I had the overalls hemmed at the beginning of production. And I don't know if you know how pregnancy works, <laughs> <laughs> but you get bigger every day. And so I, at towards the end of filming, those overalls were a little bit tight. <laughs> They're so cute. Okay. Let's talk about, I, I want to get into one of your talks that you've done. I've, I've watched all your talks on your website. Um, and specifically, I was so drawn to your talk about being nice, like teaching yes. science and being nice because there's this um, way that people go about talking to other human beings who might not know or believe certain things about science in a way that says, 
you're not very smart, you know? And I just loved your message. And I think the internet in general, the world just science or no science needs to hear that. Like nobody is going to listen or as you said, critically think about the conversation if you're attacking them. So can Mm -hmm. you just expand on that a little bit? Right. So I, coming from West Virginia, there are a lot of people that I know and love and respect who deny the science of climate change. And I think knowing that and experiencing that firsthand gave me some insight as to how I approach science communication in my life. Because what I have learned in my own experiences is that science denial is way more nuanced than simply lack of education. Like it's not that just all of these people are stupid, right? There's so much more behind that. Um, And unless we address all of those reasons, we're never even going to get to the point of science education. And the one surefire way to make sure that you're not changing anybody's minds is to be mean Mm. to them. There's science behind this about how our brain works that being mean makes someone defensive and you are literally removing their ability to think critically about that situation. And so being nice can go a long way towards science education. Being empathetic can go a long way towards science education. And um, I'd I'd like to see more of that. The internet is a, a pretty unique place where people are not super empathetic and kind. You don't really have that human interaction and being able to relate to each other is one of the best ways to facilitate communication. And when you remove a lot of the humanness behind talking, when you're behind a computer, you're not seeing somebody's face, you're not seeing their body language, it just makes it easier to not be empathetic and not be human. And so uh, I would like to see more people be nicer, more people be a bit more empathetic when we're talking about the science of various topics. So how do you approach that like with someone who isn't on board with climate change being real or anything like that? Like, how do you approach having those conversations? Hmm. I think the one thing I try to do in every conversation is to find common ground. So you want to sort of step back and really try to listen to see where they're coming from. And when it comes to climate change in West Virginia, Oftentimes, it's tied to our state's relationship with coal and the coal's relationship to our economy and that economy's relationship to their family's jobs. And when you are talking to someone who their son or daughter lost their job because the coal industry is dying, and now because they've lost their job, they have all of these other issues, um, they're going to want to point to something to blame that on. And it's very easy to think, well, because we're trying to fight climate change, all of these environmentally friendly policies aren't very friendly to me. And it it drives them to want to ignore the science of climate change or outright say it's a hoax. Um, because from their perspective, they think that that is hurting their son or daughter and they want to be able to protect their son or daughter. Um, and unless we really address the economic issues, we're not even going to get to the science like that. This isn't about the science in that particular situation. We see it as a science issue, but it's really a jobs issue. It's really uh, like a drug addiction issue. There's a lot more to unpack in that particular case. And I would like to argue that any case of science denial has way more to unpack. 
So another thing you talk about is become is is our culture being science literate or science illiterate. And, you know, I'm one of those people that say I'm not good at math, you know, like I, I am not super educated in this. So how do we become science literate without taking all these courses? And, you know, I sit on the couch and watch Emily's Wonder Lab with my kids. But what are some ways that we as the parents and our kids can become more science literate? I love that question, because I think that if we can learn a little bit from kids We can learn that it's okay to not know things. It's okay to ask questions. There's something that happens when we grow older that makes us embarrassed about our lack of education Mm. or embarrassed about things that we don't know. And we shouldn't be embarrassed about that because when we ask the question, we're going to learn something and we're going to fill those gaps in our knowledge. And so I think if we can learn to be curious like our kids and learn to continue to ask questions throughout our life and be lifelong learners. Mm -hmm. That's the first step in all of this. Uh, And when it comes to science education in particular, I think understanding the uh, understanding, you know, how to figure out which sources are trustworthy, who are the experts in this situation, and always being a little bit critical about the information that we're seeing and not taking things on at face value. I'm always a little bit skeptical when someone says, well, I saw on Facebook that, I'm like, hmm, (laughs) Facebook isn't a source. You need to figure out where that source is coming from, what biases does, does that source have? What is their incentive to make you believe that? Are they profiting off of you believing that? Just, I think being a critically minded person can be really helpful. Always questioning where information is coming from and if that source is trustworthy can go a, a, a really long way. Before Emily's Wonder Lab, you were doing exploration outer space and you've done some shows with Bill Nye as well. So talk about how those experiences shaped you into where you are in your career today. Absolutely. So Exploration Outer Space was my very first TV show, um, and we're actually still filming it. Season six is premiering later this fall, uh, which I'm really excited about. That's uh, the show that I, um, I've i gotten two Emmy nominations from. I learned how to be a TV show host with. Um, that's a show that is near and dear to my heart, and it's all about me going to different NASA centers and private space companies and universities to showcase the most exciting things happening in the space industry today. So while on Emily's Wonder Lab, I'm known as just a general science person, my background is all in aerospace engineering and the space industry. And that's where a lot of my expertise lies and a lot of my passion lies. And so on the interwebs, I am known uh, as the space gal. Uh, And that's mostly due to the fact that I've had the TV show for six, seven years now. Um, So that one, that show is near and dear to my heart. That's how I learned how to be a a TV show host and uh, an executive producer of a show. And uh, The Bill and I Saves the World, that was one that was my first like big time Hollywood kind of TV show. Um, Being able to work with Bill Nye is clearly a dream come true. He's someone who I think is just a master of his craft where he combines science storytelling and hardcore science knowledge and understanding together seamlessly to create this beautifully educational and entertaining content. 
Um, and so working with him was really incredible. And I learned so much from that show. And so, yeah, but from there, I just continued to try to create my own TV shows and pitch my own science shows. Um, I have a Rolodex of science shows that I've been pitching for the last like five years that I'm still trying to get on air. And one of which was Emily's Wonder Lab. So I'm super excited to bring that one to the public. But uh, I have a few more in my back pocket that I'd like to create as well. What service was uh, is Exploration Outer Space on? Like, where do we watch that? Yes, good question. So Exploration Outer Space is Saturday mornings on Fox. It's also available on Amazon Prime. Okay, you know, I mean, that's just it. Nobody, it seems like, is watching just regular old TV. My kids are always going straight to Netflix, which is probably why the show on Netflix is just, like, exploding. <laughs> I know. It really it makes it so easy to just be able to watch something anytime, whenever you feel like it binge watch the entire season. I mean, there's something very, very special about Netflix. Okay. But now I'm going to make it an exciting thing. If we're ever home at 9am on a Saturday morning to say, boys, Emily is on, on Fox at Mm 9am. Oh, that's so great. What, what did you learn from Bill Nye that you will carry with you in both the, the storytelling TV world and also the science world? I think from him, I mean, one, you just have to know your science through and through. You're going to be criticized from all different angles, and you just really want to make sure that you have your bases covered and that you know what you're talking about. That's, I think that's the first and most important thing with anything having to do with science uh, television. But the other thing that I, I saw him do was perform. Like, he is such a good performer on stage. And that is just as important when it comes to science TV. So making sure you hit your lines right, making sure you have good comedic timing, like all of this stuff is very difficult. I mean, people who are stand-up comedians are incredibly talented and intelligent, and that takes so much work. Um, I love watching like comedy specials on Netflix to try to take notes on how people do that. Because I I think those individuals are just like so, so smart and talented. Um, And I can see a lot of that in Bill Nye as well. So just learning how to practice to be a master of your craft and combine both the education and the entertainment um, is something that I really learned from him. I noticed that in your um, your TED Talks that you did, you had, you you threw a little a couple jokes in there. Like it is so much about the delivery when you're giving a presentation like that. How much did you practice for those talks? Oh my gosh, hours and hours and hours. I mean, because I, especially in the early ones, I think my first one I gave my first TEDx talk was in 2013, and it was one of my first big talks on. A stage. I mean, I, I don't think I'd ever given a talk to more than a couple hundred people. And then I was in this auditorium with 3000 people and it just felt terrifying. And so to prepare for that, I would memorize every single word that I was going to say. And I would memorize the first, like maybe two minutes of speech. And then I would memorize the first four minutes and then the first six minutes. And I would just keep doing that. And I, I would, I probably practice a hundred hours wow. um, on those speeches just so I could make sure that I, I said exactly what I wanted. Cause I, I took um, care with all of my speeches. I really tried to take care to write them out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I spend way more time writing than I do practicing. 
Um, but once I get the, the language right, once I get the facts right, I want to make sure that I present it well also. Um, so yeah, just a lot, a lot of time. Yeah. It's, it's crazy when you watch someone deliver a talk like that because you think, oh, they're just a natural and you are natural, I'm sure. But like nobody's watching thinking she spent at least a hundred hours preparing this. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's. Is very intimidating, but that's like I think uh, public speaking is very much a ten thousand hour skill, and being able to um, practice a lot of times and practice jokes on different audiences, so understand what works and what doesn't. Because a joke that I would tell like to you would play different than a joke I would tell to an audience, a general audience of like three hundred people. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. you kind of have to feel it out. It's very interesting it's like a very interesting social dynamic to understand what kind of things are funny in general groups of people versus like a one-on-one conversation that is so true and there's nothing worse than being in front of a crowd and it not going over well and you just having to keep plowing through (laughs) oh yeah oh and I've been there I mean but it's like you just have to have thick skin because sometimes you're like okay well (laughs) mental note that one did not work well (laughs) do not include that one in the next one yeah I was just listening to someone talk about this too like just depending on on what region of the country you're speaking in just you know and in the age of the group and just there's so many different things like this might work in Indiana where I'm from but it probably won't work in California like it's just yeah it's crazy okay I want to talk about um, getting our young girls involved in STEM and interested because I know that's probably part of your mission to get more women in the field. Right. Uh, I think for me, the most powerful thing is representation and being able to introduce younger girls to people who look like them in books and TV shows and movies and like Netflix series, for example, uh, because there's just something about seeing someone who looks like you talk about science and technology that makes all of that feel a little bit more relatable. Um, And so I always encourage people to find these female science YouTubers like Diana Cowern or Simone Yetch, the robotics girl, or Um, Raven, the science maven, or Hood naturalist, or as Stephanie explains it all, like all of these women just creating wonderful content on social media, wonderful science content on social media, they are just paving the way, I think, for the next generation of uh, little girls to be scientists and engineers. Oh, that's so good. Tell us about the Ada Lace series. The Ada Lace series is my science chapter book series for kids ages six to 10. And it features a, features a little third grader who loves science and technology and goes on adventures to solve <clears throat> mysteries with science and technology gadgets that she builds herself. Um, and it was sort of my way of creating a book that I wish that I had when I was younger, a book about adventure that just happened to feature a little girl as the main character. Uh, and yeah, it's I, I'm very excited about it. There's five books in the series. We sent the third book in the series to space last year, which is pretty cool. It went to the International Space Station through a program called the Storytime from Space program. Um, and it was read on the space station by an astronaut, which That's is pretty so neat. cool. Do you want to go to space? I would like to go to space when it is very safe to go. Um, I think like I would... 
I would probably have ridden on the space shuttle. Um, on the new capsules that are going to space, I kind of want to wait to see to make sure they have like a pretty good safety record before I would go. Um, I mean, clearly I'm being like silly because there's only like a very, very small number of people that are ever selected to go. So I don't think I would ever be selected to go. But if I was selected to go, these are the things that would run through my head. Yeah. Okay. How has being a mom changed the way you look at your career or science or just the world in general? How old is your daughter? She just turned one um, a couple of days ago. So, I mean, I think that having her makes me just so excited to introduce her to all these science topics. I Doing the show, this was my first children's show, um, Emily's Wonder Lab, and I wasn't really sure what my persona was going to be on a children's show because I knew it felt really inauthentic to be like a blues clues over the top type of person. And so I was like, if, if they're looking for that, that's just not going to be me. I don't know how to do that in a way that makes me not feel very mm -hmm. cringy. Um, and so what I tried to do was just think about how I would eventually talk to my daughter when she's old enough. And the way that I would want to talk to my daughter is to treat her like she is a very thoughtful person who is capable of understanding big science topics as long as they're explained in a fun, simple way. And so that's what I try to do on the show is talk to not basically not talk down to these kids. Mm -hmm. Um, and thinking of her, imagining her helped me do that. And so I'm just, I'm excited for her to be old enough to be able to watch the series and tell her that she was in my belly when I was filming it and do all the science experiments with her. It just, it makes me very excited for all of that. So cool. What does your husband do? He, well, I've actually met him at NASA. So he was studying to be an aerospace engineer um, also. And I thought he was very cute because he taught me how to solve a Rubik's cube. Um, and later we had done this like Mars simulation camp where you pretend to be an astronaut crew on Mars. And he was the commander and I was the chief engineer. Uh, and then a few years after that, we had a like an internship reunion at uh Cape Canaveral, where we watched a space shuttle launch, and we had our first kiss on the beaches of Cape Canaveral, and it was a very nerdy love story. Um, he, I like to brag on him because he's just so, so smart. He went to MIT, and then he went to Stanford, and then he went to Harvard Business School, and he's just like this very humble guy from Missouri who did all of these wonderful things and is just the smartest person I know, um, and he works at Google now, so that's, we live in the Bay Area uh, to work at Google, but um, yeah, pretty great. What does he think of all this? Oh, he loves it. He's my biggest fan. We stayed up until midnight the day that it premiered, um, and had champagne on ice ready to go. And we just stayed up till like one thirty in the morning, binging all of the episodes. And he's, he's just like my best support system and he's the best. Oh, so wonderful. <laughs> Okay, we are going to ask, I'm going to have one more question before we do end a podcast. And I had my boys and a couple of the neighborhoods submit questions and maybe you could answer them in like short snippets, but I, sounds good. they are just way too excited about you coming on the show. You, we've talked about your, your show, um, Exploration Outer Space. Give us in maybe in terms that like our younger kids might understand too. Why is it so important that we're doing exploration in space? I think 
everything that we do in space, all the money that we spend in space is to benefit life here on Earth. Everything from the GPS and our phones to taking pictures of our planet and understanding how our planet is changing day by day, knowing where natural disasters strike and where all the damage is being done so that we know who to help, when to help them. All of these things are thanks to technology that we have created in space. So great. Okay, I'm going to do end of the podcast questions and then do the kid questions. Um, Emily, what's something professionally or personally that you would like to do that you haven't done yet? Ooh, I would like to write a book geared toward adults sometime in my future. And what, what do you, do you know what the topic would be? I mean, something on science communication, something about like empathetic science communication. That's something I'm really passionate about. Yes. I can't wait to read it when it happens. (laughs) What's an accomplishment you're most proud of? I think uh, getting into MIT is something that I am most proud of because I was this West Virginia girl, never really considered myself one of the smart kids. I'm the first person in my family to pursue a degree in science or technology or engineering and STEM in general. Um, And so figuring out how to get accepted to MIT was something that uh, was very, very difficult. And I'm really proud that I was able to do that. And what does your family think about all of this? Oh my gosh. I mean, I, I think they're still trying to process it. My parents keep talking about like going to the grocery store and having a neighbor be like, I saw your, your daughter on the Today Show. I saw your daughter on Netflix, like all of these things. And they're just like still processing. But so, so proud that my dad uh, the other day went on a new show and basically begged all of West Virginia to watch my Netflix show. And it was just like, it looked like he was about to tear up and it was the sweetest thing. So I think they're just very proud and uh, like the most adorable parents. Oh my gosh. What's your favorite thing about West Virginia? Uh, I think the pepperoni rolls, probably pepperoni rolls are a delicacy, a type of food in West Virginia where it's literally just a pep, like a bunch of pepperoni, sometimes cheese wrapped in dough wrapped in bread and every family has their own way of making pepperoni rolls. And so it's my absolutely favorite thing. Anytime my mom visits, she brings a bag of pepper pepperoni rolls. And I just like, I, it's my favorite, favorite thing that she does. What is the best, most recent book you've read? Oh my gosh. Uh, I'm working through the book white fragility right now. Um, I think that that is something that's really important and topical and it is a difficult read, but it's provoking a lot of really good conversations with my husband, um, who's also reading it. And so that one I think is just changing the framework of how I view the world. And it's been pretty thought provoking. I listened to it on audible. Mm. Are you reading it or doing audible? Reading it, reading it. Good. Because yeah. Audible, I mean, it's um, it's like, like a computerized voice kind of. And I was like. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And it's not the author's voice. So once I listened to, once I started though, I was like, well, I don't want to go buy it now because I already bought it on Audible. So I just powered through. But I was mm-hmm. like, I wish I would have read this one because I love listening to Audible books when it's the yeah. author's voice. Um. But yeah, I, I've heard, and as soon as I posted on Instagram that I was listening on Audible, I had so many people message me like, read it instead. So, <laughs> so I'm glad that you're reading it instead. Uh, yeah. Um, okay, Emily, what is your one message to send to our audience? Man, I think that staying curious, I mean, to be cheesy, the, the tagline in Emily's Wonder Lab is stay curious and keep exploring. Yeah. But like 
keeping your eyes open to the wonders around us, especially right now, it's something that I think provokes a sense of excitement and curiosity and the ability to question things around you and always asking the question, like, how does that work? Why does that happen? It leads you down a really fun rabbit hole. Um, and so I would just encourage people to constantly be asking questions and keeping that curiosity alive. Do you know, will you know when, if you get it a second season? Uh, I don't know yet. Okay. I am still holding out. I just, I'm, I don't know how quickly these decisions are made. It's, I, and it's so, it's so hard because you have no idea how well the show is doing other than the social media response. Like really? we don't, we don't see the numbers or anything like that. Yeah. So, uh, just, <sighs> I encourage everybody to keep watching so that hopefully Netflix calls again. I mean, it has to be, I, I mean, I literally talk to my three best friends. I'm like, have your kids been watching this show? And they're like, yeah. Oh yeah. They, they've watched all the episodes already. And I'm, you know, I'm from Indianapolis. I feel like, I feel like everybody's watching. Oh, I hope so. That would make me really happy. Okay. I like to imagine kids making messes in their kitchens and living rooms and experimenting all over the place. Like that, that brings joy to my heart. I know we, my boys and I, we have to do experiments and, and all the parents thank Emily for saying you need a parent's approval before you do a science experiment. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Um, this first question now, um, we're going to do some listener questions from the kids. So this first question is from my eight-year-old son, Marshall. I'm just going to play my phone into the microphone. I think it's going to be okay. Cool. Hi, Miss Emily. My name is Marshall. I'm eight years old. And how did you get into science? How did I get into science? I mean, I think that it was something that I just tried out, not knowing whether or not I would like it. And I, it turned out that I really liked it. Um, I chose aerospace engineering in particular because I wanted to fly on something called the Vomit Comet. And if you haven't heard of the Vomit Comet, I encourage you to Google it because it is the coolest thing in the world. It's like an 8,000 foot roller coaster in the sky that's a plane and the people inside float weightless. And if you study aerospace engineering, you can fly on it for free as long as you design an experiment that NASA accepts. And that's how I chose aerospace engineering was because I wanted to fly on the vomit comet. Wow, that's so cool. Were you scared? I definitely. Oh, yeah, I was super scared. Yeah, <laughs> I was very scared. But then I've, I've ridden it three times now. And so uh, each oh. consecutive time you get better and better. Oh, I love it. OK, here's another one. This is from Evie. Hi, Miss Emily. My name is Evie. I'm nine years old. And my question is, how long have you been doing science stuff? How long have I been doing science stuff? Oh, my gosh. Let me count the years. Um, I would say probably since 2005 when I graduated high school. So about 15 years now. Ugh, the time flies by. <laughs> I know. Okay, this one's from Wyatt. Hi, um, my name's Wyatt. I was wondering what size um, of balloon you used for the car balloon race. Ooh, for the car balloon race. That's a good question, Wyatt. I would say any type of party balloon. I think that it would be fun to experiment to see what would happen when you use small balloons versus big balloons. It's kind of like having a small engine versus a big engine. And I would encourage you to try them both out to see uh, how that changes how far the, uh, the car goes. 
Okay, there's two more. Hello, Miss Emma. Um, my name is Lewis. And how do you get on TV? And I like the rainbow toothpaste. And five you and then five years old. Oh my gosh, was that Lewis? Is that his? Yeah. Oh, Lewis, that is the sweetest. Uh, I also loved the rainbow toothpaste. I think that's the most beautiful, fun experiment ever. Um, and wait, what was this question again? How'd you get on TV? How'd I get on TV? Um, I think that I mostly, I just, uh, I talked to a lot of students and I was, um, I did a lot of videos on science and technology and I just did that for a number of years. And then when TV producers were looking for a host, they found me online. I love it. Okay, this is the last one. My name is Emily, and I'm six years old, and I was wondering, how did you make um, the tornado? It was really cool. Oh, my gosh. Emily, first of all, great name. Um, I We made it. I, there was a team of people that helped make it, but we made it with a fog machine, and we put actually a bit, at first we just put a kitty a plastic kiddie pool and drilled holes into the kiddie pool and put the kiddie pool on top of the fog machine and then took a bunch of little fans and directed the air around it in a circular motion and then put a big fan right above it to suck up the air because one of the most important ingredients that you need in a tornado is fast air moving upwards. And so we had to put a fan right above the fog machine to suck up the air. And then we had to spin the air along the sides. And so if you do that perfectly, you can eventually start to see a tornado. Oh, Emily, this has been wonderful. And I'm so grateful that you agreed. I was like, I better get her on before she just totally explodes. Well, thank you so much for having me. All right. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Emily, for coming on the show. To learn more about Emily, check out her website, thespacegal.com. You can purchase her books there. You can learn about her shows there. Definitely check out her Netflix show, Emily's Wonder Lab, if you haven't done that yet. You can also find Emily on Instagram. She is the space gal over there. And you can find us on Instagram. We are Why Is Everyone Yelling? We have a Facebook group as well, Why Is Everyone Yelling? I hope that many of you parents will come and join us over there and we can get to know each other and connect and feel supported. I'm on Instagram as well, lindsayhines626. And you can check out the other podcasts in the Sandy Boy Productions podcast network. I'll have another with Lindsay Hine, the Up and Running podcast with Lauren and Abby and the Illuminate podcast. So excited to add this show to the network. Thank you so much for being here and we'll see you next Tuesday.